I've been good. How are you? Oh my God. You know, the freaking world's turned upside down. I was like, where did it happen to April? Where, right. did, April, where did April go? I was like, yeah. April, remember April? That was so nice, April. Oh, it's funny. Goodness. And it's funny because there's actually a bet on what can go wrong with each month. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so and so somebody posted on Facebook, all right, who had Kanye West entering the election? <laughs> like bingo. Oh it's my god. Crazy out here. It's it has crazy. been so I'll, I'll give you a quick update kind of like what happened. So I'm at Little Elm, right? Teaching theater. Mm-hmm. And long story short, um, we go off for spring break. We're a week behind pretty much everybody else which is kind of a generalized statement. And I hope no one from little Elm is going to be offended, but little Elm is like a week behind the rest of the world. Okay. <laughs> They're like a, <laughs> one high school district, small town, you know, one high school, one middle school, soon to be two middle schools. Thank God. State yeah. of the art facility. I'll be moving into next fall. If we ever <laughs> get over this freaking pandemic and yeah. we go to spring break and we're like, everybody else is like, Hey, we may not be coming back from spring break because of the freaking COVID. And we're like, should we be spraying down the room? Because we're still in school. Everybody else is on break thinking we may not come back. Needless to say, we go on break. We don't come back like everybody else, like everyone else in the rest of the world. We don't come back. And so week to week, we were kind of making it up as we go. And here's the beautiful thing. We teach theater. I say we because I have a colleague who taught the other 160 uh, some odd kids in our program at the middle school. And we had been set up for the fifth quarter or the, 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 the fifth unit at the end of the semester to teach how does film relate to theater. And so the good news is all of our stuff was basically watch this movie, watch this TV clip, and then talk about how it's different from theater. So in a way, mm-hmm. we kind of had it easy, but we also were like, but we weren't prepared to like not have to talk to the kids. So we were on you know, Zoom overload like everybody else. And we were meeting once a week. We were talking almost every day. I probably saw my colleague, my cohort in the theater department every day, which was rare for us to see each other, you know, every day. But yeah. um, And so we were FaceTiming and Google Hangouts, whatever the heck it's called. Um, And at first we decided we weren't going to do a show. And we were like, well, you know, we were going to do a show, but probably not the best thing to do a show. And then I started thinking it was the Spoon River pieces, which you're familiar with, the Spoon River anthology. Yeah. So I said, these are perfectly designed for internet. What the heck, man? Let's talk to the kids. So we called up all the kids we had planned to had uh, auditioned and cast. And we ended up in about three weeks learning how to not only do a Zoom conference rehearsal with several kids, meaning like 13 kids at a time, and rehearsing in turn, doing monologues. And then we learned how to stream it on YouTube, which we had to learn because the IT people said, you want to do it? You can stream it on YouTube. Here's the information. Go learn how to do it, teacher boy. So we learned how to stream on YouTube. And we streamed two performances to 60-some-odd parents and friends and family of our performance for our kids. Nice. How freaking awesome is that? I didn't even know how to log into YouTube. (laughs) I didn't know you could almost, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, you know, and I still get a little emotional when I think about these 13 kids who rehearsed in their bedrooms and in their living rooms. And while taking care of their younger brothers and sisters, some of our kids at little Elm, a lot over half, almost half of our kids at little Elm are 48, 48% are, what do you call it? Um, Socially economically disadvantaged, you know? meaning they're, they're probably yeah. getting, you know, reduced lunch or something like that. We live in a, you know, it's, it's just a reality. It's a, if it was an inner city, it would be an inner city school. Yeah. And these are kids who are babysitting their other, not just their brothers and sisters, but like their nieces and nephews. You know, I had one student call me during a Zoom conference going, can I, is it okay if I hold my baby niece while I'm talking to you? And I'm like, girl, you go for it. You know, you take care of your little children and we'll have a, teacher conference and we'll just move on and you can comb out your hair you know while we're doing it i don't care so it's just just been a real rude awakening to uh you know i talked with gail a while back i said you know the difference between teaching middle school high school 
and college is that you can't be yourself. And I think that was BS because the truth is you, you really have to just be totally yourself. I mean, you have to be protected because you, you know, you're teaching little children. So you have to be careful about what you say, but at the same time, they see through your bullshit veneer. Oh yeah. They're very smart. They're smarter than you. And so like I learned very quickly that yeah, they, they want to see the real you, but they're also going to call you on your BS too. So in many ways I was wrong. I, it's not that you can't be yourself. You have to be totally yourself. You just have to know when to draw the line, you know, and when to say, okay, you know, um, that's- yeah. And it's funny. And, and it's funny you say that because um, that, that happens. Like I was, uh, I don't know if you know who Liz is. She teaches at KD. And I was telling my, uh, she reminds me, she's basically Gail if she was in her 30s. And I was telling my uh, friend that I would, I have a lot of friends, you know, overseas and, you know, in different states. And they would talk about their theater teachers. And I would say, is John in Colorado right now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because they're, you know, they're the, uh, there's, to me, there's only, three types of theater teachers. There's the theater teacher that starts off with a rap that has nothing to do with the class and then starts teaching. And then there's a theater teacher that curses a lot. And then there's a theater teacher that's the hippie lovey-dovey like (laughs) Shannon, you know? (laughs) But it's true. And, you know, what's so wonderful about um, this age, and I've been through it now three times, I'm on my third time with my own middle schooler at home is it's a messed up time. I mean, who would, who would give their left, whatever pinky to go back and relive puberty? Nobody. It's a messed up time. Your body's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Your (laughs) mind's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. You can't concentrate for, you know, to save your life. And then they're thrust into this situation where they have to like, you know, perform at a, you know, certain level. And it, it takes, you know, this was my first year in the secondary, but it was all, not really, that's not really true. It was my first year full-time in secondary. I taught for a semester at uh, Mansfield at the high school, early college high school. Mansfield, mm-hmm. Mansfield, Mansfield's got it figured out. They have got an early college high school that if you start there in ninth grade, you can have basically the first two years of your college degree by the time you finish high school, if not more. Um, But needless to say, it was a very different uh, worldview. In college, we would say milieu, zeitgeist, you know, worldview um, Mm -hmm. in that school than it was at the college. But it was still the college classes. And so uh, you make accommodations. That's the educationese word, accommodations. You accommodate the student. And so you learn to accommodate the student. And it took me, um, I mean, you're always learning, but the the beautiful thing is these kids, I was so thrilled with the things that they came up with because the one thing that uh, I gave them an opportunity, there was a bunch of girls, we'll call them the mean girls, (laughs) who were giving me trouble, (laughs) you know, always giving me trouble. And they asked me, can we do a group project for our monologue? And I'm like, fine do a group project and what do I care? You know, I'm like, just of course, of, don't of, bother of course me. They asked to be in the group. Yeah. Don't bother me. Just <laughs> do something, turn something in so I can put something in the freaking great book. Um, they came back. I will send this to you at some point. Maybe I have to probably get permission, but they came up with a, basically Bertolt Breck was probably like singing in his grave because they came up with a, uh, a piece that said, we're going to speak truth to power. And they, these girls, these five or six girls got together and they choreographed and they organized in, the, in less than 45 minutes, a five minute presentation that said, it is not fair that women have different dress codes than men. Oh. Like wow. that the, the dress code for girls is biased against girls as, as opposed to men. Men can wear exposed shoulders and can wear a T-top, you know, a tank top, but girls can't. And I was like, you go girl and they ended up doing a series jonathan they did one two three different videos i mean as well thought out like a ted talk i mean these were intelligent very well organized arguments about why it is not right that a girl should be able to wear something above the knee and all this i mean just amazing and i showed it to my colleagues to the faculty meeting and so the thing is 
children are smarter, I think, in many ways than I was when I was in middle school. I didn't, you know, know how to, you know, do anything when I was in that age back in 19. 19- yeah, like, like, like I tell my friends in middle school, I was throwing my own shit like a chimpanzee. And these <laughs> girls are like, you know, these kids are like so advanced with algebra. Oh, I know. You know, algebra is taught in high school. <laughs> I know. I didn't learn algebra until I was in high school. Exactly. So, so the point is they're, they're woke. If I can use that term without sounding like, you know, uh, what did somebody call me a boomer, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but they're woke. They're aware and they're not afraid to speak truth to power. They speak truth to power because they realize I don't know if they realize, but they just feel like they were born with the right to speak truth to power. And yeah. so that's very disarming to someone of my age at age, <laughs> um, you know, okay, 53. At 53, it's really hard to kind of hear a 14-year-old speak truth to you and and you realize that you don't have a leg to stand on. Um, realize to say, you're right, and I will work on that. I will get better at that. I, I apologize for that. I was inappropriate or that was not acceptable or whatever, you know, uh, I don't say inappropriate, but you know what I'm saying? Um, and so I learned so much in this last year from these kids because I was giving them the liberty and the freedom to speak their truth. And that's why, you know, when you texted me, so what do you want to talk about? I'm like, when I first got excited about theater, it was when I had a professor, uh, Dr. Levin, Bob Levin at Miami Dade Community College. And he said that first day of acting, it was my second year, but it was my first acting class. And he said, acting theater is about changing the truth. Mm -hmm. It's about truthful behavior, but it's about changing the truth in the moment of the scene to be this. You know, I love you. I hate you. I want to murder you. I want to marry you. I want to steal power. I want to give away the secret. Whatever the story is, it's about truthful behavior. And when you look at all the different schools of theater and all the different schools of acting and all the different schools of film, they all come down to showing truthfulness in a way through the filter of whatever they are. Whatever you're, you know, if you're doing television or film or theater, it's whatever that filter is. You know, if it's comedy, tragedy, whatever. Yeah, and, about- and, and and I agree with that one hundred percent because like, villain believes he's actually the villain. You know of what I mean? Of course not. Of course not. They want what they want. They have their super objective, as Stanislavski would say. And yeah. so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, what was cool is that when I gave them permission to speak the truth, they were speaking truth about, in some cases, things that were offensive to some other kids. And this is going back to my first year at the elementary, or not elementary, middle school. Um, they were speaking truth about stuff that was offensive to some, not offensive and like, like, you know, uh, profane, but they were talking about issues that they were dealing with in their home or in their world. And in some cases that meant issues with, you know, uh, things that we would find not appropriate for middle school, but that's yeah. their world. You know, I'm not going to censor them. I mean, I'm not going to censor them in terms of like content, you know, if that's yeah. what they're dealing with. And, and likewise, they were also not afraid to say, we should have the right to do this, you know. And so I'm, I'm encouraged when I hear young people, when I hear 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, when I hear most of my colleagues, most of my uh, students, I should say, former college, college students out there protesting. I can't be out there. I'm at a risk factor, you know. I've got health risks yeah. one, two, and three. I can't be out there. And exactly. I just, my heart breaks when I hear, you know, some of my literally from like a year ago, college students that are out there protesting and speaking truth to power. And uh, so this is an existential moment we are living in, meaning our, really our very, our very existence. And so had it not been for all these things coming together, I'm not going to BS you. When I got your call, Jonathan, I thought this has something to do with Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? It, it 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 originally started out that way, but I was like, you know what? People need to get away. Not saying people get need to get away from Black Lives Matter, but there's so much, you know, turmoil going on in the world. You know, there's enough people speaking. People need a distraction. People need to be entertained or informed. 
you know, and through other ways. You know what I mean? Yeah, but let me tell you something. Thank God for that. Because I prop not to say that I don't love you and respect you as a human being, but I probably would have blown you off <laughs> any other yeah. time. Yeah. I and, was and, like, and, oh shit. Know, I'm, I'm this is my that. this is my moment to stand up like a white man and you know, at least acknowledge. Because let me tell you something. It's come up, you know, we've had conversations at home. Obviously, we've been freaking sequestered, you know, for the last month and a half, two months, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I remember talking to my middle child, my center child, who's going off to college this year. <sighs> I'm sorry, I get a little emotional when I think about that. My my 18-year-old who's about to go off to, hopefully, if the freaking COVID doesn't continue, to go off to college next year, you know. Oh, I can only. You, you're better than me. I, I, I wouldn't let him. I well, would be like, I, <laughs> he wants to. He wants go figure. He wants to be a film major. <laughs> yeah, I, he wants to like, go make documentaries. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine how you feel. I would be like, oh, you want to go to Berkeley? I'm moving states. <laughs> you know? like, yeah, like, I could do it. I could do it, but you got to let him go. You know. Yeah, you have to hold your children loosely. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so we're talking, and I said, you know, I, I've, it's, it's this moment, this existential moment, the BLM moment, the matter, the, the, the issues that we're dealing with. We're forced to confront the existential reality of the systemic racism and all that shit. And I remembered, I said, you know, I was probably in, in middle school, probably sixth grade. Fifth or sixth grade. I can't. I can't tell if someone's coming in the room, or maybe the dog just wants to come in here. Um, <laughs> the, there's. I'm in my study over here, and so the dog sometimes opens the door because he doesn't like the door to be closed. Yeah, he wants free reign. Anyway, and I came home and I asked my father. I said, "Daddy, what is the N lover? The N word, lover." And he looked at me like, "Don't use that word. You should never say that word." And I thought I was in trouble. And he said, where did you hear that? And I said, Daddy, at, at school, they said that that's what you were. Now, you have to understand, and we haven't talked a lot, Jonathan, but my father was a Methodist uh, minister. And he was assigned a, a job at the Migrant Farm Worker Mission in Central Florida. And he helped the Mexican migrants as well as the African Americans and all the other people who were needing help. And so when they found out what he was doing, the white people of the town in Central Florida uh, said, you stay down there with the Mexicans and the blacks because that's where you belong. Like, you don't come into town and do your shopping, grocery shopping in town. You stay down there in Zolfo Springs. Wow. And what year was this? 1976, 77. Uh, not that far away. No. But a hundred years ago in the in the spectrum, you know, and the 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 section of town where black people lived was referred to as the quarters. Yeah. And I never understood that. I never understood that. At the time I was what, 13, maybe 12, 13. And so I understood, or at least had dealt with it on a on an impact level that I didn't really come to terms with until probably was in my 20s what racism meant what it meant to be racist and even into my 30s what it meant to be racist or to have racist mind uh, or worldviews you know mindset and yeah. so all of this has come to to uh, fruition over the last few years before this came up but it's it's come to fruition because you're dealing with it you have to face it you're, you're raising children in this 21st century. And my son, Matthew, one time said, uh, my, my wife said something about, um, well, that's the way I was brought up, which is a totally acceptable thing to say for the last 250 years. That's the way I was brought up. That's my family of origin is another way we talk about that, right? Yeah, but he he could not accept that. My son could not accept my wife saying that's the way I was brought up. And you know what my son says? He says, "Mom, that's a fem that's a a, a, a chauvinist point of view." <laughs> How 
how is a woman able to have a chauvinist point of view? Because she was doing something and talking about ladies don't talk that way or ladies don't behave that way. Well, that's her worldview. That's the way she was brought up. Women don't use profanity. Women don't say this. Women don't behave that way. A lady doesn't behave that way. And he was getting like having an argument with her, not a heated argument, but a discussion, a heated discussion with her about her being like anti-feminist, <laughs> his mother. And I said, Matthew, hold on. That's her identity politics. That's her identity politics, Matthew. And you know what he said? What? Oh, okay. I'll accept that. That's okay then. Meaning it's just a matter of how you perceive someone. He understood that that was her choice to believe that, you know, because her identity was framed in the fact that she was a white woman who grew up in the South and behaved a certain way. And that was how you behaved. And she couldn't unlearn without a lot of effort. And so he needed to accept the fact that she had a right to have that worldview. And it wasn't even something that she chose. It was just something that she had been in, uh, systematically taught. And he was willing to accept that. That that's her identity. Yep. Who do you identify? One of the first things I asked my students when I was teaching college and now when I teach middle school. Who are you? How do you what terms do you use to identify yourself? I'll ask you, Jonathan. If I said, give me five words to identify you, what would you choose? Hmm. Uh, friendly, nerdy, silly, kooky. Yeah, those are adjectives. I want, I want, I want labels. I want. Are you a man or are you a woman? Um, man. Okay, <laughs> you, you have to think about it for a second, right? We live in an age where man, woman, gay, straight, bisexual, transgender, blah blah blah. Right? There's a there's a dozen choices. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Are you are you a black man or are you a man? I'm a man. Okay, see what I'm saying? You choose to decide that label or not. Are you a Methodist, a Brass Baptist, a Catholic, a Presbyterian? What are you? Christian. I don't even use that word, can I tell you? I don't Why? like that word because I think it's got such a negative connotation. I say I'm a believer. And people say, What do you believe? I say, You buy me a drink, I'll tell you what I believe. Right. Sit down. We'll have a we'll have a we'll have a shot of vodka and we'll talk about what we believe. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to steal that for you from you because I, I it's like true. Uh, I don't I want have, to associate with half the Christians out there. They're sick and <laughs> Exactly, because like and and I have so many friends that are in so many religions, and honestly, like I have a pagan friend, and he was <laughs> saying he was saying some of the things that was in the Bible, and I'm like, we believe in that too, and honestly, I feel like when it all comes down to it treat people like how you want to be treated don't be an asshole um believe in god you know jesus died on the cross for your sins blah 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 and you're good you know what i mean well i've been reading rereading a lot of joseph campbell you should read joseph campbell you can find it probably on kindle you can listen to it at night joseph my, mom, my mom is a huge fan when years ago when we were in uh, a group for marriage therapy not therapy but kind of therapy for one of a better word through our church to work on our marriage you know that's what you do when you're married you work on it you don't just like hope it's going to get better you try that part and so um somebody's one of the questions is through the church but one of the questions that they asked was you know uh who do you expect to see in heaven and i said joseph campbell <laughs> and i'm like i want to see him because i figure he got the whole mystical mythology thing figured out when it comes to the world religions and the world philosophy and the stories that we're told. And, um, but, but I digress. All that being said, this idea of um, identity, okay? You know, so are, are you a Democrat or Republican? Democrat. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm not even go that far. I'm like independent. And the only reason I'm independent is because I want people to convince me that I need to follow their party or their platform. I don't want to be associated with a, with a party. I never, I, and I don't say never have. I think I probably was Democrat early on, but I grew up in a family yeah. with, with two older brothers who were Republicans and a father who was independent. 
a father who probably voted for every independent candidate since, you know, Ronald Reagan and before. Uh, we need them now. Like, like I was telling my friend at this rate, the Green Party might win. Like the world might go up in flames, but at least our parks would be clean, you know? Well, God only knows. I mean, I have tremendous uh, compassion for anyone under the age of 30. Because, okay, let me rephrase that. Anyone under the age of 35. <laughs> because you're being, you're inheriting a world that is broken, a political system in this country that is broken. Political systems all over the world are broken, but in this country specifically. Um, I think capitalism is showing that it doesn't solve the problems of democracy, or in this case, a republic. Um, we do not live in a democracy guy for those of you that are just tuning in we live in a re republic um <clears throat> and so capitalism has failed as an economic system for uh allowing the uh de de democratic rule to uh gain a foothold or even to to be uh, have a chance um, and so that's what we're testing. We're, we're proving the fact that a lot of these uh, philosophers, philo philosoph philosophers and, and uh, political philosophers of the late 19th and early 20th century were right, that capitalism is, is a system, uh, and that's all it is. It's not the best system. It's a system. Um, democracy is a system, but it's not the best one. It's one of the ones, the best one we came up with so far. Um, I will tell you quite honestly, the, the longer I live, the more socialist I become and the more I see government as a different, uh, purpose for the society. You can't spend, maybe this comes from having spent the last year teaching public school, but you cannot spend more than six weeks in the public school system and not realize this is freaking socialism. The public school system is a socialist enterprise. It is not a democratic. It is not a republic. It is a socialistic enterprise. Think about it. Public school exists. Why? So that everybody has not just the right, but the responsibility. What would happen to you, Jonathan, if you skipped school when you were in, in ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade? Sure, you, got in, see. you got in trouble because you were breaking your commitment to the community, to the society. You had made a yeah. commitment as a member of the society to go to school and to show up. And if you didn't show up, you were shirking your responsibility as a, as a citizen. And so you have were penalized. It's not like you were doing something wrong. You were being penalized for not being a good social servant, not being a good member of the society. Mm -hmm. What are you supposed to do? Graduate high school. After that, do whatever the blankety blank you want. And and on a side note, when I got it, funny thing. So when I got truancy, you know, I had to do community uh, service. I went to the um, the uh, uh, veterans uh, memorial and I cleaned the tombstones and then oh, I wow went, yeah and and then I went somewhere I forget the other place we went to, but and and it's funny because I only had like two days of community service and when everybody that had community service found that out they were like what the fuck did you do who the hell is your lawyer because most of them had like years and months worth and i thought they were just like me you know i didn't ask and i was like i didn't go to school and they looked at me and they're like oh man you should have took your ass to class and i said well what did you do <laughs> I, I was like what what did you do oh i beat somebody over the head with a crowbar and tried to run over them oh, oh. i ran over somebody and oh it was a hit and run or oh uh you know i uh attempted murder so i was i was in there with like real people and yeah, they felons so, people yeah, who yeah, committed so, crimes yeah so you can imagine the look on their faces and and i mean the judge uh he's retired now uh judge jones great judge i hated to see him leave but like yeah you know like yeah you can imagine the look on their face they were like what you got two days either you didn't do anything or you had a great lawyer <laughs> yeah. right and in reality, what did you do? You know, you had not gone to school. You know, I mean, yeah. when I think back on the years of 
middle school and and even high school to a certain degree. You know, yeah, I, my brother, my oldest brother said uh, when my other brother came to visit from he was in the army, he said, "So how's Johnny doing in school?" They both called me Johnny, obviously. How's Johnny doing in school? He says he goes to school like a sieve. (laughs) I would skip weeks at a time. I would skip every other day. I would call and pretend to be my dad to get a, you know, get out of school because I hated <laughs> going to school. I yeah. hated it. Um, and I had my life threatened to me in public school. I went to one of the worst public school, Ponce de Leon junior high school, one of the worst districts in the Dade County, Florida. Um, I was afraid to go to school. I had my life threatened at school. You know, um, it was an open yeah. book. You could and at lunch, you could literally walk away and walk out out to the part the 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 yard and get your lunch and then leave because there were no fences. You just leave school. Um, yeah. So yes, it's a different time. It's a different world we live in. But in many ways, you know, we have an opportunity. And I say we, I mean you, <laughs> people under the yeah. age of forty, have an opportunity to speak truth to power. To say uh, this isn't going to fly anymore. We've got to not fix a broken system. We got to come up with a better system. Yeah, I totally agree. We got to come up with a better, a different machine, a different system, because this one doesn't work anymore. It's broken. It's clogged down with too much money, too much money in politics, too much higher education. Is a broken system. They are isolated. and they are, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, not isolated, but they're isolated, but there's another word I can't think of right now. But the point is um, insulated, insulated from yeah. what's really happening in the world. And it's, it's going to be the undoing. Uh, I, I think, you know, what's, here's what's interesting. We're only now in higher ed, and I'm a little bit removed because obviously I haven't been there the last year, but in higher ed and even in secondary education. When I say secondary, for those of you that don't know, I'm talking about ninth through 12th grade or kindergarten through 12th grade. That's what we call secondary, ironically enough. Higher ed is college. Okay, so in higher ed, they're looking to secondary to say, how can we fix it? Meaning, How can we be more like middle school and high school so that when kids graduate, they know this is what's expected of them or this is what they, you know, they've got a diploma that is valid. Look at what's happening at, at the college that you and I know each other from, although we met long before Colin. We met at the core theater long before that was even in common between those, us. But think yeah. about it. Wiley campus, all these other campuses, what are these, what is, how is Colin College growing? It's growing through technical, through trade, vocational, nursing, welding, all these other skills that for, for almost a century, almost an entire a generation in this country, we shat upon the trades. If you're a plumber, you're less than. If you're an electrician, you're less than. If you're a a welder or some kind of trade, carpenter, building, you're less than. You're an immigrant. You don't don't deserve, you're not a white collar. We shat on those jobs. Thank you so much. I was actually talking to one of my friends about that very thing. The problem with the educational system, in my opinion, especially when it comes to things like colleges, is they push diplomas instead of pushing certificates. Like, say, for instance, Mountain. Skills. Yeah, 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 skills. Like, like, say, for instance, with Mountain, 90% of the kids that uh, attend Mountain View will never get a diploma. So why are you, if you know this, because this has been, you know, proven, why do you continue to push something that doesn't work when you can push certificates? I don't know, maybe because they make their money off of, you know, diplomas, you know, because student loans, well, you know. Well, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. A lot of people don't realize this, but I spoke to a colleague who's now retired, but he was at Katie Studio. He used to run Katie Studio. And those schools, like Katie, who teach acting, like go down the list. I taught at uh, Art Institute for almost a year, more than a year, about a year and a half. Okay. I didn't teach theater. I taught public speaking. But the point is, um, those schools are on the hook. If those kids don't graduate and get a job, they're on the hook for student loans from the federal government. 
And yeah. so the world changed in the last few years in terms of financial situation, in terms of the financial uh, ramifications. So here's the good news. This goes back to the Obama administration where they were saying, look, you need to prove that what you're teaching is viable. Um, and so a lot of fine art schools, a lot of fine arts profit schools, and even the not-for-profit schools got a little anxious because let's face it, if you get a four-year degree in theater or film or television or media, you're not exactly, you know, a hot commodity. Um, the flip side though, what they said was, look, for all these other programs you offer, balance it. Offer programs in nursing, uh, welding, uh, computer technology, all the other, you know, the, 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 the trades we need to fill. Train people how to fix the freaking, uh, what do you call them? Windmills. Can I tell you, we took a trip this just recently to New Mexico. And mm -hmm. when you drive through that northern part of the panhandle of Texas into New Mexico, you can't count the windmills you see out there. And that's a whole industry. And that's just one segment. I'm not even talking about Listen to me, the theater guy talking about freaking alternative energy sources. Um, <laughs> but, it's, but seriously, uh, windmills and solar that, that you see out there, that if, you, if you're a young person right now, 20 years of age, 19, 20 years of age, and you're not sure what to do, go learn how to work on a windmill, uh, wind farm. Go learn how to repair and, and maintain those systems. Go learn how to do solar energy. Go learn how to do alternative energy sources, okay? Because that's the future. That's the solution. It's not the future. That's the solution. That's going to get us out of this freaking uh, global warming meltdown that we're in. And those jobs are out there. And, and their money is out there for you to get an education in. You can train to be a welder in less than a year. You can train to be a, uh, learn how to you know, maintain and, and manage uh, wind turbines in less than a year, you're not going to become an expert, but you can get a job and you can be providing for the, the society. And then if, if you have some artistic, you know, bent, if you're an art artist, learn how to use the technology, learn how to use the internet, YouTube, uh, TikTok, whatever the hell it is, whatever the next thing is, learn how to use that technology because you are a voice for change. Bertolt Brecht said, Art is not a mirror. Art is a hammer that we yep. use to shape the new reality. And we are in an existential moment, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. We are in an existential moment. If you're under the age of 35, I'm going to back it up. If you're under the age of 40, for crying out loud, you have an opportunity. Heck, you have a responsibility to go out there and say, this is messed up. And we're going to make change. We're going to protest. We're going to put YouTube videos out there. We're going to put um, TikToks out there, you know, whatever the platform is next week. And we're going to use yep. this tech. I mean, think about it. The, the, the cell phone that you and I are talking on right now, I'm guessing you're on a smartphone too, right? Yeah. Apple. Right? I, I literally just got my old LG V20 replaced as an, with another LG V20 only because I can't afford to buy a new phone. Okay, so my wife got a new phone, but I got the old one. Anyway, the point is the phone that you're holding in your hand has more computing power than the computers they use to send the men to the moon. You have the ability. You are the greatest generation, Jonathan. Your generation, you're, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're, you're still in your 20s, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the point is, you know, uh, O to be 20, O to be 27, O to be right. 29, even for fuck's sake. But the point is you are in a unique position and everyone in your age, age group. Okay. 30 and under you're in a unique position to change the world. Believe it or not, those likes, those, those clicks, those text messages, those, those posts, they have an impact. They are seen, they are heard. Um, and, uh, you have a responsibility to use this tool that we call a smartphone uh, for good. And thank God that, you know, and for, as far as I can tell, because I've only known you for a couple of years now, 
thank God you're already using this tool right now to create a platform for people like me to kind of, you know, talk. And hopefully the other people I've noticed you've had on your show uh, yeah, to, to share the hope, the hope for the next generation. Yeah. God forbid we don't pay attention to the next generation. We're, we're messed. We're, we're screwed. Yeah, that's the whole reason why. Well, one of the reasons why I started the podcast is because let me tell you, if you are a creator and you can't create, you it in a crack of this shit. It hurts. You'll hurt yourself keeping it in. And I was like, I had to, you know, do something, you know. And it's a way for people, you know, that normal talk shows wouldn't have on their voice to be heard and sure. i've noticed because when, when i uh first got this podcast which is why it's called let's talk about it i was like okay we're gonna do social commentary celebrity news and then i just started doing a bunch of interviews and i noticed that each interview i did there was a key thing to those interviews that people could learn and take from like gail she said something that stuck with me she said get yourself straightened out first before you try to get your career straightened out first and that's you know important to hear or it's like so true my, yeah or or like one of my friends she was like learn to stop and smell the roses you know people want money you know to do things but she's done like concerts and talent shows with just a dollar in her pocket, you know, and like oh, yeah. a, a, another photographer, he was emphasizing on you're not owed anything, you know, you got to work hard at it. So each interview that I've done, there's been something that people can listen and not only be entertained or distracted, but actually take from it and make them a better artist. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you say that, too, because, you know, kind of a running joke about Gail. You know, she was my teacher back in the day in 1989, yeah. whatever that was, 89. Um, and uh, I remember talking with her one day in the in her office and I said, I just I, I it's so wonderful, Gail, to hear you talk to me as a colleague, as an equal. And she said, without missing a beat, she goes, well, you're old now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so the point was, yes, okay, I'm old now, but also you, you've gotten, you got the stripes, you know, you got the marks. Uh, one of my favorite stories that is told by many preachers and many public speakers is about, you know, the scars that we bear. And, and as actors, as artists, we, we look at, um, you know, I remember Terry Martin saying to me, not to me personally, but to classes, he would say, you know, our job as performers, as artists and expressing truthful behavior of these characters we play as actors is we have to figure out where the where the wound is in this character. And then we have to cover the scar. And then at some point, the playwright's going to say, OK, now you get to show the scar. You know, there's <laughs> we get to see the truth for just a moment. The conflict, you know, expresses itself in the play. If it's a well-written play, we get to go, oh, that's why Willie Loman is that way. Oh, that's why, you know whatever the character is, Oedipus is that way. We, we get to see the truth. Yeah. But we have to learn that. We have to learn that about ourselves. And that's why, you know, what you said about Gail saying this idea of learning the truth of ourselves, that's the root of us as, a, as an artist, is the truth of ourselves first. And then we can be anybody we want to be. Danny Aiello, yeah. great actor. Danny Aiello, uh, uh, do the right thing. Um, his memoir, he passed away not too long ago. Uh, yeah, young, young, But he said... His memoir, you know what the title of his memoir is? I never know what? who I am unless I'm somebody else. I don't know who I am unless I'm somebody else pretending you know, to be someone else. That's what we do as actors. But this yeah. idea of the truth of ourselves is the root of, of, of our work. And so by allowing ourselves to be that way, allowing the truth of ourselves to come out, to be our, quote, this is a 21st century thing you hear all the time, authentic, your authentic self. Why the yeah. hell are we, because we've been pretending for so long, you know? And so by showing who we really are, people connect with that. People connect exactly. with a real person. And so. And I mean, you know, and I mean, I think it's true because there's so many, like, say, for instance, I had a theater teacher that was in the movie uh, Cry Baby. He played a police officer and Johnny Depp 
literally had a purse filled with cocaine, you know, in between takes. And like, there's so many stories about so many singers and celebrities losing themselves because they never got themselves together, you know? Yeah, they rely on some other medium to, you know, support them. And so here's you know, the beautiful like, thing. Yeah, they got the career. Yeah, they got the career, but they don't, you know, really have themselves together. And and you you know how the saying goes: if you're insane and you have money, then it just makes you more <laughs> heightened, insane, and dangerous. It doesn't fix the problem. It actually makes it worse. Yeah. yeah well, that I, unfortunately, I I can't <laughs> say that I've been been that uh, that insane or that successful or maybe both but <laughs> here, here, here's what i was gonna gonna kind of leave you with this idea of those marks you know that those scars that are left to us you know it's one thing to say that you have scars is another thing to say those those scars uh identify uh experiences that i've had you know not all the scars are bad you know sometimes you get a splinter Let's face it, you know, splinter's not as bad as getting cut with a knife, but it still affects you. And and it's through our pain, through the difficulty. You know, I listened to Lin-Manuel Miranda talking the other day because me, along with 200 million other people, watched Hamilton the other night, and I was crying halfway through it, not because it was a wonderful piece of theater, which is part of the reason, but also because I could not experience this in any other time of 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 uh, than now, you know. Yeah. Than the fact that they're like, okay, we got to put this out there because people are like clamoring for something new to watch. But the point is that our that our experiences communicate who we are, and that we have to be willing to be truthful. Notice I didn't say honest. Truthful, okay, about aspects of ourselves that will enable other people to guess what feel empathy to us that's why i still thank god have a job teaching theater to middle school kids <laughs> you know in the midst of this pandemic i praise god every every morning that i still have a job hopefully i don't know what it's going to look like we're going to be doing it through zoom or something i don't know um, we're going to be doing youtube classes but we'll get through this well, the vaccine will, will emerge. It will be discovered, you know. Um, maybe not until January, but, you know, <laughs> we'll have one. And we'll move past it. But we'll be able to look back and say, we came through this trial and we are better for it. We are better people. We are, we are more human. We care for each yeah. other. I'm not going to apologize for getting emotional because it is an emotional time. Here it is. It is. And we have it to is like, yeah, like, like say for instance, me in the interview with me and Gail, she was talking about her first time doing theater, period. And she said at some point in the show, people actually, like the uh, actors actually got in the audience and touched people and she said can you imagine and i was like touch people in this day and age you know not yeah you get sued yeah you know and and i can't tell you how many times i went to walmart thinking oh thank god at least this line isn't long and somebody behind me says hey it starts back there you know for social distancing god forbid you should have to touch somebody Oh, man. you'll go to jail for murder at, that at the least at the least you know yeah <sighs> but yeah but i think these things do happen for a reason like say for instance i was looking at a post and the ecosystem has gotten better somebody took a photo of la and then took a photo of la during corona the air was clear oh yeah like sure you know like it's never been, and it kind of reminds me. Have you seen the uh, happening with uh, Mark, Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Dashanel? Uh, uh-uh. I haven't seen that. Yeah, basically, it's a movie, and I hope I'm uh, saying it right because there's the happening. Yeah, I'm saying it right. The happening. Basically, it's a movie about uh, a random group of people in Seattle just committed suicide for no reason. And then it was happening all over the world. 
and they finally put two and two together. And it was the because it was happening mostly in parks and, you know, outside and they put two and two together and it was actually the plants and the trees giving off this ammonia wow. giving off this smell to make people commit suicide <laughs> oh my because gosh. they were cutting down the trees yep and you know there it, it was their self-defense mechanism and it, it reminded me a lot of corona like yep. now you know yeah it's the world's defense mechanism because i'm telling you um global warming is real and we were headed for it you know and we still are, but now we've taken with Corona, we've taken 20 steps into the right direction. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're seeing more wildlife around in our backyards, in our neighborhood where we live, you know, the bunnies and the, the squirrels and all that, you know, sort of you know, that were here before we got here. Um, we got to see when, because we took a trip to New Mexico, luckily we, you know, my, uh, the family has a, uh, a play. They had retired. The grandparents had retired to New Mexico. Yeah. And so we were able to go visit them after quarantining for a certain number of days, blah, blah, blah. And seeing all the deer coming up within 15 feet of a, the a house, seeing little groundhogs coming up along the side of the road and all the different wildlife. And, and we were, and we saw elk that we had, you know, probably never would have got a chance to see because everything's quiet. You know, nobody's out there enjoying the, it's they're still in quarantine, you know. Um, New Mexico did it right. A lot of other states have done it right too, but New Mexico did it right. Cause when you go to New Mexico, you have to quarantine for 14 days. You can't leave unless you, you know, if you, if you have a, a space, you're staying. So luckily, you know, we went to a house that was owned by my uh, in-laws and we stayed there for the week we were there. And then we came back to Texas. We didn't interact with anybody other than, you know, getting gas and whatever on the highway. Um, but yeah, we're in a we're, we're, we have a, a an opportunity to really uh, learn about ourselves, to learn how to behave in a way that's uh, better, um, that's more human, that's more accepting, um, that's more equal, and we have an opportunity, I think, ultimately, to re-examine those first four lines. And uh, I thought about this as I was watching Hamilton. I thought, you know we had a preamble to this thing we call the constitution that says uh, a more perfect union. And maybe we don't need a more perfect union. Maybe we need a more just union. Yes. Maybe we need a more just union. That's, that's more about justice, more about equality. And we may have to rewrite this thing. We may have the experiment may be over and it may be time for a new experiment. And hopefully it'll be uh, one where everybody has a seat at the table. Hopefully. Right. Hopefully. Well, it sounds like the pizza's here. So I better get in there before the yeah. rest of the, my, my teenagers get in there and eat all the food. Yeah, it's funny because this interview went opposite of what i expected but there's got to be a part two there's definitely <laughs> gotta be a part two i, I, I wanted hey to, like, I, I, at my age at my age i live for part two yeah yeah i wanted to like <laughs> interview you and get deeper into your career and then we just went on this tangent and i was like hey let it happen that's right that's right bro just yeah. let it be let it All be right. or right, you have a good night sir right you too i love you bye bye